Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week four of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're talking about the 1992 Christmas classic, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Joining us, this is our second week in a row, we're going to have a guest tonight, Caroline. You may be familiar with him. Tonight's guest is none other than Muppet expert, Jack Daly. Jack, thanks so much for coming out and joining us tonight to talk about this Muppet movie. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Uh, so people who are eagle-eared listeners may realize there, there seems to be a connection in the last names here between Caroline and Jack. <laughs> Caroline, how do you know this fine young man? <laughs> well, I made him. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. He is my youngest child, and he is by far the most Muppety of all of them. So I knew for sure he'd be perfect. Plus, Muppets Christmas Carol is directed by Brian Henson, son of great Muppeteer Jim Henson. So it seems super appropriate to have a son on the program with us. So this is my son, Jack. And for this episode and only this episode, I agreed he can call me by my real name. <laughs> Versus what does he normally call you? Mom. <laughs> Oh, well, well, all right. Well, that's good. Just making sure that there's not any kind of like, you know. No, there's not any kind of like, you know. I, I, I usually call her. I usually call her Bob. I don't know. call me Caroline, you know, because we're coworkers today, aren't we, Jack? Sure we are, Caroline. <laughs> You're super funny. So, Jack, you are a little bit younger. Not too much younger. I'm I'm 23. Whoa, 23. Yes, I'm, I'm a rather young man. I'm spry, but I'm a bit older than you. So the Muppets have been around a lot longer in my life and in, in your mom's life. Do you remember the first time you saw the Muppets? What, what about them kind of clicked with you? I remember when I was a toddler, I remember seeing a DVD of the Muppet Show. It had Elton John, Julie Andrews, and Gene Kelly involved. It was wonderful. It was the first time seeing the Muppets. Like, I never saw anything like it. I think anyone who grew up with the Muppets, and especially the Muppet Show, which predates any of the movies, I remember watching reruns of that as a kid, because I'm old, but I'm not quite that old. I was only like a little kid, and my parents would watch the Muppet Show, the Muppet Tonight Show, and I would watch it with them. Caroline, were you growing up with the Muppets in your when you were uh, a youngster? Absolutely. I remember all of these ones that were on the DVDs that the kids watched. They were a part of my childhood the entire time, and I loved Sesame Street. I had a record that had Kermit as like the frog prince and I would play that record over and over again there was this part of Aunt Taminella it's like stuck in my head I I mean I remember it perfectly and I was like seven maybe when I was like listening to these records so yeah Muppets are woven into our DNA now do you guys go so deep as to be in into like the Muppet Babies cartoon from the 80s is that is that a thing mm, yes the Muppet Babies have been based off an idea they had from Muppets Take Manhattan and then they made a lot out of it I mean comic books merchandise and a reboot in 2018 i liked it because it had jessica desicchio in it who's that the actress of summer penguin oh yeah good old summer penguin <laughs> We're, we go deep here, Mike. We're not you, fooling. You guys, I mean, I, I'm honest, honestly, I mean, I, I'm going to be out of my depth quickly. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. I go back to watching all this stuff like firsthand. I was a big fan of the Muppet Babes. It was part of my after school watching. I was watching. The only thing I could definitely say over Jack was I was watching it like first run. That, mm. that, that's like my clean of fame. Wasn't was like, alive, but yeah, 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 for sure. We for sure. actually got a chance to meet Guy Gilchrist, who did the drawing of the Muppet Babies, not the animation, but he did like the when they were like comic strips is that right oh yeah and so we actually got to sit with him and he talked to us and he has actually created both jack and elizabeth as muppet babies like he That's... drew them into the muppet babies were you nanny with the green striped socks <laughs> well who can ever know 
<laughs> you can never see my face. <laughs> so, you know, you talked about this movie being directed by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. This was actually Brian Henson's directorial debut. It was the first movie he ever directed. There was a production to celebrate Jim's life after he passed away in 1990. But this was the first major Muppet production to occur after jim henson died which was a big deal because he the muppets are jim henson jim henson is the muppets and there was very much this idea at the time especially what happens to the muppets now they were so kind of linked with him and the idea of that brian taking over i think people thought it meant it made sense for him to take over but it was also kind of a gamble. I, I don't know that people thinking back to that time, I was I was a freshman in high school, you know, when this all happened, when this movie came out, I was a freshman in high school. And I remember thinking, and I remember seeing this movie and, and people were like, I don't know that Brian has the same kind of juice that Jim Henson has. But I think this is I think this does the Muppet tradition pretty proudly. Give me your top three Muppet movies. If I had to choose my top three favorites, they would be, one, the Muppet movie, because it's really phenomenal in 1979. I mean, it won a lot of awards. It did. I mean, it set off the franchise. I mean, people think about the Muppets from the Muppet show, but it was the Muppet movie that really put the Muppets on the map. You have Being Green, you have Rainbow Connection. These would go on to still define today the Muppets. Number two, The Great Muppet Caper, a yes. sequel to the Muppet movie, but made a lot of effort. They made a full-body Miss Piggy and robot Muppets riding bicycles. Wow, that's how they did the bicycle scenes? Well, yes. That's amazing. I never know how they show Kermit's legs or how they show... It's mostly Kermit's that I get a kick out of when I get to see his legs doing some action. We see his legs a couple times in this movie and I got so excited every single time. He's so adorable with his little stick legs. We also got a lot of Gonzo leg in this movie, too. <laughs> it took like 12 puppeteers, I think they said, to move his legs and to move his arms and to move his coat like when him and Robin were walking. They had an oil drum to make it look like the path was going on and on whilst he was walking. The oil drum was rolling backwards, so that made his legs look like they were walking. Fascinating. I have seen this movie so many times, and Tom, my 12-year-old son, never seen this movie before. That was the thing he seized upon. He thought that special effect was the coolest effect ever yeah. Where with him and uh, Tiny Tim walking on the drum. He's like, well, they're not actually walking. He's like, the thing is rolling. And they're just <laughs> yeah. like, they're standing still. I was like, I was like, I never noticed that before. That was a total great pickup. Yeah. Pretty, well, and we've talked about this in other movies uh, or in other shows like Elf, where practical effects have so much more of an impact rather than them just doing like CGI. So I love that they used robotics in The Muppet Keeper. And I love that they used the drum moving. It was just so magical to me to see his little legs going. And they were going, you know, they yeah. just weren't going by his Muppet spirit. <laughs> You know, we, we live in a world, especially people listening to this, especially younger people who would be listening to this, people even maybe younger than Jack, you know, they know the world of CGI. This movie would never be made this way today. The pressure for cost savings and efficiency to use computers, to use CGI special effects over making practical puppet and puppeteering and, and, and real physical sets. I mean, there's so much physical set building for the Muppets in this movie. It's fantastic to watch and it makes a difference. It makes it feel more real, at least to me anyway. I don't know how you guys feel, but you would never see this kind of movie with this kind of artistry I think today. I would like to think they would keep the spirit of the practical effects that the, the Muppet show and Sesame Street uses, but I'm, I'm afraid it would just cost me. It just wouldn't make sense. Jack, what was your third favorite movie on that list? The Muppets take Manhattan. That's a solid list. So Muppets Take Manhattan is more controversial as a top pick than I would have thought. It actually is also my third favorite movie. You're more of the age demographic for the newer Muppets movies, the Muppets and the Muppets Most Wanted. What about those movies? They had popular songs like Man or Muppet. I mean, it won an award for that. That's true, yeah. But I would argue that the older movies had more songs that I remember. Like, I sing Man or Muppet, but I sing Moving Right along way more or rainbow connection sure. or one of those so i think that the music helped and the plots were more fun i think when they were like going on road trips well it was more adult also without being melodramatic yes i mean the muppets especially the muppets what was the new muppet that they added in the in the reboot muppet he grows up as as jason siegel's brother in the muppets movie oh, walter Walter! Like, Walter has a very adult storyline because he has to deal with learning he's a Muppet. He has to learn he's a Muppet. <laughs> we're, we're like, the great Muppet caper is yeah. an adult movie that kids can enjoy, but they're doing a heist! Yeah. 
you know, yeah, there's yeah. there's Fred Astaire dancing, there's synchronized swimming, there's Charles Grodin. Everybody with Charles Grodin is great. We need more <laughs> of him in our lives, not less. So I, I'm with you. Caroline, what's your top three favorite Muppet movies? My top is the Muppet movie by far. Would you ever say that Muppet's most wanted? Probably not. But maybe I think the Muppet Caper is definitely up there. Mm, really? For sure. Muppet's Take Manhattan. Oh, well, for sure. Dabney Coleman, get out of my face. I love it. Yeah, I think it's the same three because those were the ones that were like the originals for me. Like, I know there's Muppet Treasure Island and I know there's these other ones, but they were not in my prime. That was not my prime window. So yeah, I think I'm old school. How about you, Mike? My favorite Muppet movie is actually The Great Muppet Caper for the simple fact that it was my first Muppet movie. It was my first Muppets. Really? It predated it predated me watching the show. It predated me watching the Muppet movie because Muppet Great Muppet Caper comes out in 81. Ooh. I'm three. It was one of the early VHS tapes that I had as a kid. It was one of the few things we watched as a family. This movie, again, because it was a movie that could appeal, appeal to adults as well as kids. So it was it was the Caputo family choice for movies. So it became my kind of default one. And then I would say the Muppet movie. And then I would say the Muppets Take Manhattan. Look at us. It's yeah, all yeah. old school, really. I mean, I love that they are doing these new tales, and I definitely can't wait to talk about Muppets Christmas Carol here because there's so much to dive into and what was going on and how it was made. But there's something about these other ones that are just so steeped in, like you said, like they were our VHS tapes or they were our DVDs that we played over and over again. Yeah, but you're right. It's time probably to talk less about the Muppets in general and talk about uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. For those that don't know, this is an adaptation of Charles Dickens' 1843 short story a christmas carol it basically tells the story of ebenezer scrooge a hard nasty man who doesn't like to share his money who is all about bah humbug on christmas who is visited in the middle of the night by three spirits that show him when he was a child christmas past uh christmas present and in particular his faithful assistant bob cratchit and his family who have very little material wise but are rich in spirit by far the scariest in every christmas carol adaptation ghost of christmas yet to come which i think is always scary and it's kind of scary in this movie too and and he's he's transformed by those experiences they leave him shaken to the bone he pleads that he will become a better man that he will live in the past the present and the future he won't squander his chance at life and he will let be less of a miser all is right in the world it's a it's a classic tale get how many versions of a christmas carol in movie versions of a christmas carol would you say there have been made more than 20 seems debatable <laughs> More than 20 is our answer. Well, as of 2016, anyway, there were more than 135 versions of A Christmas Carol that have been made. Wow. A lot of versions of A Christmas Carol. Not to spoil our list, but in our 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast, Caroline, yeah. we will be covering three different versions of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That's wild. There are so many good, iconic versions of this story. It's really the ultimate Christmas story, right? It truly is. Hey, Jack, tell us a, a fast fact about Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge was based off of Charles Dickens' Dickens's father, John Dickens, who devoted his life to hard work at the factory, which wow. gave Charles Dickens the idea of Scrooge as being a hard worker who squandered his own money for himself. I had not heard that. Yeah. I had not heard that. I'm actually almost embarrassed. I'm almost 43 years old, and I have actually never read the original Dickens story. Really? I've only ever seen movie versions, adaptations, and TV adaptations, mostly animated because I'm a child at heart, uh, <laughs> of A Christmas Carol. So, yeah, no, I didn't know that at all. We've gone to a couple of different live versions of A Christmas Carol, and I can tell you that that ghost of Christmas yet to come is scary on, like, the stage. I don't know if you remember that, Jack, but they, like, spin the bed, and it's scary. It truly is. So, I, yeah, I prefer to keep it animated because this is actually pretty heavy subject matter. It is. So, Caroline, maybe you remember the first time, if Jack doesn't, do you remember the first time that you guys sat down and watched this with the kids and what their reaction was? Like, um, were they scared of, of the Christmas feature? I mean, there's a lot even beyond that. Just the story. Ebenezer Scrooge is so mean. My guys are pretty good about asking a lot of questions when they're when they are feeling uncomfortable about a movie and so they don't necessarily get scared right away but they'll be more like what is going on here or like who is this guy or like why is he acting like this so we kind of end up talking through most of the times that are pretty spooky in these ones and Ebenezer Scrooge especially I think it was brilliant to cast Michael Caine and not it be a Muppet because I think if it was a Muppet it actually probably would have scared them more 
more than it being a man because somehow you could kind of like separate it like well that's like a big old man and he's different than all these really great cute muppets i don't even think about him as much as i'm thinking when you're small you know jack does the ghost of christmas yet to come uh, uh, does does any does ebenezer scrooge does any of that kind of like i'd rather not see that guy or you're like pretty you're pretty rough and tumble and it doesn't bother you if you were a kid it could bother you but my mom and i were having a talk about the spirits they were going to use some of the muppets as the spirits like scooter as the ghost of christmas past and how it would scare them say if mom was a kid and she was watching scooter as the ghost of christmas past like that's gonna end well (laughs) well then and then when i see scooter on the muppet show i might be freaked out to see him later so it was kind of smart how they didn't use the muppets for those right and then who were they going to cast for christmas present Miss Peggy. And then who are they going to do Christmas Yet to Come? Gonzo. But thankfully, they got him as Charles Dickens. I think that was better casting, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. So I think it was smart, too, also that they made them truly unique Muppets for those scarier roles. Because, again, they don't come popping back up. So we don't have to be scared to see them on Sesame Street. They're not going to come popping up in another movie. They are unique to this one. So they kind of stay in their place. Jack and I were watching a lot of behind the scenes on this. One of the things that we saw was an argument that this is actually one of the closest adaptations to the original story, partially because they actually use specific lines, even lines that are pretty kind of weird for kids. Like there's this one part, Jack, do you remember the lobsters hanging out of the windows? Mm, yes i do that was like a callback to like this really odd lobster metaphor that dickens uses but they actually put like muppet lobsters hanging out the windows like just funny stuff like that that they actually kept in a lot of the small details from the original story that other other adaptations leave out you know what they're smart about it because they poke fun out of it and they call attention to it even way the movie starts once once rizzo the rat and uh the rick gonzo as charles dickens begin narrating the tale after their kind of opening shtick that they do he uh he starts with the and the marley's were surely dead dead as a doornail kind of thing and rizzo calls about it he's like what what are you talking about <laughs> that's super creepy that's what are you scary. talking about yeah and he's yeah and he says he's like that's how the story begins and at the end he says you know if you enjoyed this movie you should go read the book yeah so I like that they uh, point out to that. So I actually have a fast fact because you mentioned that Scooter was considered to be playing one of the spirits. spirits. Yeah. So the movie was actually dedicated to Jim Henson, obviously, the father of the Muppets, who had passed away in 1990. He was also, uh, the movie was also dedicated to Richard Hunt, who had died in January of 1992, the year this movie came out. One of the several voices that he voiced in the Muppets was Scooter. Yeah, Richard Hunt. Do you know who else he voiced? Well, there's Statler. Yes! Statler, Waldorf and Statler are two of my favorite Muppets, uh, mm-hmm. outside of the Cord Gang. So I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the Hecklers. He's not even Wikipedia. I, that, I, I, <laughs> or yeah, IMDb. I mean, yeah. That's impressive. Uh, Yeah, he was only 40 years old when he passed away, Richard Hunt. You know, there's something about this movie and the fact that Brian Henson did it just two years after his dad died. He was just so beloved by so many children, especially then all of us adults, too. There's something about this movie that I feel like is like working through the loss and and having hope at the end that I really just feel so much when you're saying it was dedicated to these two men who passed away there's something about it that has this like it's okay to be comfortable with your mortality and in fact it's important to be because if you can embrace that that there's a finite amount of life you have then you can actually live it to its fullest if you kind of just go day to day and kind of grump along you don't really pay attention that you don't have infinity you know amount of time here it's very short so pay attention that's very much jim's message of being kind and loving each other and life is wonderful we we mentioned that this was brian henson's directorial debut but the screenplay was actually written by jerry jewell who is important in the lore of the muppets who is jerry jewell the guy who wrote this movie do you know what else he had written before him he wrote the muppet show mainly jerry jewell wrote some scripts for muppet movies like muppets from space that was obviously his last script. Was it? It's true. <laughs> I didn't know. Regularly considered one of the worst Muppet movies. That that, oh. and Treasure, that and Treasure Island are always in competition for the worst Muppet movies. I don't know. You get pigs in space. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stuff. 
well, sure, we know what Gonzo is now, an alien, uh-huh. which explains everything. Well, that's true. It does bring in Gonzo's origin story. So Muppets from Space comes out in 1999. Jerry Jewel actually passed away in 2005. It's curious if he would have been involved with the eventual reboot two decades later when the Muppets and then the Muppets Most Wanted came back around. Because he had a writing credit on all of the screenplays. He's one of the co-writers on Muppet Movie. He's one of the four writers on Muppet Caper, the sole writer of The Christmas Carol. The only movie he's not given us screenplay credit on is Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah, so, I mean, he is linked to the Muppets, and his career goes all the way back to uh, Salmon Friends. I know. I'm actually a huge fan of it. I mean, Kermit the Frog, his debut. Back then, he wasn't even a frog. I mean, he was some ordinary creature made up of his mother's sweater. Jim Henson's mother, by the way. Thank God! Thank God you didn't mean Kermit's mother. That would have been. <laughs> no, that would have that, that been a very dark, <laughs> like, dark origin story, Jack. I mean, seriously, really dark. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. they did it in Washington. I mean, they had a good six years. They did it awful comedy sketches and yeah. songs from other people like Stan Freeberg. Yeah, sure. Stan Freeberg. What was uh, what was Salmon Friends about? I, I honestly, I had never even heard of it. Oh, you don't know about Salmon Friends. I oh, don't. Not, not until talk- I start getting ready for this. And Let I was me digging just in, I was like, tell you how often I have to hear about Salmon Friends. <laughs> Well, all the time. I'll have you know it had some original sketches, by the way, such as Visual Thinking, a real smashing hit from the Muppets. That was the name of the skit? Yep. Did you know the skits have names, Mike? I didn't know the skits had names. Can you watch Salmon Friends anywhere? Is this something if I wanted to go to like YouTube or something? If I yes. wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. YouTube. Oh, that's Who were the characters on Salmon Friends? Mainly Kermit. Then there's Sam, the Sam from Salmon Friends, Harry the Hipster, Yorick, Icky Gunk, Mushmelon. Mushmelon. That's literally his name. <laughs> it was Jim Henson's like first like variety type show, right? Yes. I, I love that he made Kermit out of his mom's sweater. That make, that's so sweet, right? Because it's like his best little friend. It's very nice. Oh, nice. I do a little Kermit. Depends on what I have to say. I can't say all of the words, but I can do a little bit of Kermit here and there. Jack's yeah. kind of freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that's just mike yeah i mean it's like the real deal i mean oh yeah. well thank you thank you thank you thank you i told him he sounds better than the person who currently plays the kermit for the muppet show yeah i mean matt vogel i mean sure what do you think of steve whitmire though because this was again uh, he had done it at the celebration for jim henson's life but steve whitmire considers this his first like real performance of kermit's voice does he pass the smell test for you steve whitmire yeah yes if you listen to a Muppet movie, Caper, Take Manhattan, and then you listen to this, do you hear a difference or is it pre- is it pretty on point to Jim Henson's Kermit? Well, I don't see why they had to fire Steve Whitmire in the first place. I mean, seriously, what was up with it? I didn't even know that they fired him. I just uh, figured do you want to hear why? <laughs> Uh, I, I do. I figured I didn't realize that he had been fired. I thought he had just oh, uh, like gotten older and so he retired. Here. Oh my god! You guys are spilling the tea. Yeah, you, you're you like Kermit in that. You're Kermit. Idea how much time we spend talking about you this. guys are Kermit with the tea in that meme. Mm-hmm. I, I, Jack, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, seen the meme. I have seen the meme. <laughs> Oh, you're so funny. Jack, give us some fast facts about this film. All right. Get us back on track Got to it. the Muppet Christmas Carol. All right. Here's a good one. It was going to be a TV special on ABC. ABC had a lot of good Muppet show Christmas specials. Muppet Family Christmas. That was a great one. I mean, it had Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock, and the Muppets all together. Wow. Mm-hmm. Disney stepped in and made it a movie instead of a television show. Wasn't that the right call, though? If it's going to be a good script, may as well just make it a movie. I think the movie is the right call because because you could you can go big for a movie and then always play it on television. If you develop it and you produce it as a TV movie or made for TV special, you're gonna have you're gonna have constraints on there that you don't want, and it's gonna and you know what it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you in the artistry. It's gonna it's it's how you lead to computer effects versus you know real practical effects where you're removing floorboards so michael kane can be on the same height level correctly you know with 
the Muppets, you, you get that with a movie budget. You don't get that with a TV special budget. You know, they're going to cut corners and make it look not as nice. The sets were built four feet above the ground for the puppeteers to walk. But there were narrow planks for the human actors to walk on. Might lead to serious injury. It's true. It could have. And so Michael Caine, this was an interesting thing that I had read. Michael Caine only agreed to do this part if he could play it very seriously he was not coming in to be silly and funny so the fact that he had to maintain that and have these like lengths that he has to walk along with people underneath him and they have you know puppets on their hands moving all around like this was a huge undertaking and i feel like michael Caine perfection can i read you the quote because it's a fantastic quote and if you can picture it in michael Caine's fantastic british accent it's even better okay are you ready jack are you ready ready? it's great he says to brian i'm not going to do the british accent because please don't uh, (laughs) crump it's governor no see see, i'm not going to do that so he says to brian hans he says i'm going to play this movie like i'm working with the royal shakespeare company i will never wink i will never do anything muppety i'm going to play scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me henson's reply yes bang on so (laughs) that's super funny i think that's the way it has to go i know that they had looked at george they looked at george carlin as an alternate which i think is hysterical given what an absolutely foul mouth comedian that he can be that it would have been so funny to bring him in that is a layering of (laughs) worlds that i don't know if it could have taken but i don't think he could have helped himself from acting silly like so many of the guest actors that you've seen where they just start getting so silly once they get around the Muppets. What were some of your favorite guest stars that have been on? You know, we've established Elton John, Julie Andrews, and Gene Kelly. But if I had to choose other favorite, I would say like Steve Martin, where the Muppets didn't have to do a show. They had to do auditions because of it. That's funny. Then there was Loretta Lynn, where they did their show on a train station. I mean, funny, am I right? Yeah. Well, who doesn't love Loretta Lynn to begin with? What about Zero Mustel? Oh, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Involves ladies wrestling in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Brooke Shields. She was the youngest guest star ever to be on The Muppet Show. I remember that episode. She was uh, she was a cutie. Marty Feldman. He was the guest star of the show. Then Sesame Street co-starred with it. Harry Belafonte. Did he tap dance, do you know? I think he no. sang. He, dance? he sang. Oh, did he he's sing? He's a dancer. Yep. He's a singer. He's a singer. I thought, I thought he I mean, was a dancer, too. He mm-hmm. sang Banana Boat. Mm-hmm. Turn mm-hmm. the World Around. That was a great one. Inspirational. That was a great one. Just on the last thing on, on Michael Caine, the only stage version I've ever seen is Patrick Stewart's A Christmas Carol. Oh. Because he would, do, he would do it in New York, you know, when it got to be around Christmas time. He would take the, the theater at Madison Square Garden, and the, he would put on a... Uh, Christmas Carol adaptation but he had the gravitas he had the same he has the same kind of gravitas that like Michael Caine has like a seriousness he doesn't get flustered by the role you really believe it and and yeah I mean what Michael Caine says in that quote I think is so important because you're right it it, you get so silly around the Muppets you just want to play with them and it doesn't work like when you're throwing out you know a Muppet because of his mortgage is going to be foreclosed on you can't break character you have to be Ebenezer Scrooge, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about the Muppet cameos in this movie. When we're on the streets of London, there are so many Muppets that are filling the screens. There's that big ensemble shot when uh, Scrooge goes to the Cratchit house and then, you know, the entire house is gathered for the Goose Feast. And I feel like every Muppet that's ever been assembled from someone's sweater is in these (laughs) shots. What are some of the Muppet cameos that people should be looking out for? Mudwell the Mud Bunny. That's from Fraggle Rock, by the way. Pops, the doorman from season five of The Muppet Show. George the Janitor. Season 1 of The Muppet Show, Baguni, Fraggle Rock, and many other Muppets from the Muppet projects the Jim Henson and company have worked on. I love Sprocket. I saw him up in the window. What was the name of the little babies that they do the little the little baby singers? Bobby Benson's Baby Band. I love that little Bobby Benson's <laughs> Baby Band. They are so freaking cute. I also love the vegetables. My eye peeped on Bunsen and Beaker. They were hanging out. They were doing the Victoria Charity Foundation officials. That's who they were, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Whitmer doing Beaker voice for the first time in this movie. Richard Hunt used to do Beaker, I believe, and because he had passed away, they needed someone to do his voice, and so they approached Steve Whitmire to do that, too. So he, this is his debut of Beaker. I saw that boomerang fish guy. What's his name? 
New Zealand. Oh, you know who else I saw? I saw Electric Mayhem was making a cameo there. Love it. Oh, my God. I'm a drummer in heart, and Animal is literally my spirit guide. And when he is just straining to bust out all over his drum set to kick up the party, I felt him so, so hard. I love how he kicks, literally kicks the party into high gear with the the mayhem. When, if you're really looking through the scenes, there were so many, like, small, small small little things what is michael kane's original name that's a great fast fact towards the end of the movie they pass a store and it's called micklewhite it's an easter egg because michael kane's real name is maurice joseph micklewhite this movie's so fun like that there's it's so many things so chock full it's a feast for your eyes can i give you one more storefront fast fact yes you can they're also towards the end of the movie they pass another storefront called waldorf and statler Aww. because they're not playing themselves in they're this movie not. right they're playing <laughs> jacob and robert Marley, the Waldorf and Statler get to be a fun little Easter egg because of who they're playing. Who is Bee Bunny? Who is Bee Bunny? Because I recognize Bean Bunny and and he's very sad and he's homeless and my God, pulling at the heartstrings when he's shivering in the cold at the nighttime. He's a very popular character for the Muppet. Was popular. They all started out being on Tales of the Bunny Picnic, a real good special about rabbits. It was frankly adorable. Then he started working on the Jim Henson Hour. Then uh, Muppet Vision 3D, very likable. Disneyland place. Yeah. That's where I know him from. I know Bean Bunny from the Muppet Vision ride at Disney World. There that's, you go. Th- that's how I know. <laughs> that's that's my history with Bean Bunny because I drag everyone who will be with me at Disney to that ride 18 times. So. Oh, that's funny. We love that one too, right? Not to get on a rant about Disney, but they did the Muppets dirty in Hollywood Studios in the Muppet Courtyard because it was set up to be this great Muppet area. You had the Miss Piggy Statue of Liberty fountain outside of it. You had this great theater for the Muppet Vision 3D. The movie itself was fun. They had a great waiting area for the queue line where you got to watch Sam the Eagle be Sam the Eagle. It was fantastic, but there was nothing around it to support it ever. Ugh, it used to drive me crazy, the lack of love given to the Muppets at Disney World. So, so we covered Muppet cameos, and there's a ton. Everywhere you look, you, you can't shake a stick at Muppet. But there are some original Muppet creations in this movie, in particular, because they didn't decide not to use existing Muppets for the three spirits. Jack, tell us about how they went about creating the Ghost of Christmas Past, because she looks like no Muppet I've ever seen before in my life. Okay. From what I can recollect, the puppet was made of painting oil, but was ruined to exposure of water. But luckily, they caught it all just in time. Wow. So, I honestly, you guys, I think that the spirit of Christmas past is the spookiest, weirdest puppet creation that I've mm-hmm. seen in a long time. And we've been to the Center for Puppetry in Atlanta. And I can just tell you that we saw so many different puppets. And that particular puppet is so odd. We were talking about the different materials that we thought she was made of. Well, there's a tool. I mean, felt like the bottom was made of it. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Face, and that face was so unlike every other type of Muppet. All I can figure is that we don't want this these figures to be identifiable to us in the same way. Like, it shouldn't look like any of our other Muppets. Does that make sense? Right. So mm-hmm. that we don't, like, associate them when we're away from this story and get scared of them in some way. That, oh, and I think it makes this story have more impact, right? If it's Scooter or if it's Miss Piggy, you're bringing all your preconceived, all your all the ideas you have about them as Scooter and Miss Piggy into these roles. Well, Miss Piggy, I mean, she's all about herself. She's not going to give a good message about Christmas present. Right. No, you need you need some kind of original to, to bring that story to life. I agree with you that she was super odd looking. So what I had read was that she was operated in a tank of water and then green screened to mm-hmm. make it look like she was floating. But to me, it looked like it was a it looked like to be like an oil painting that had been like animated somehow. It, and which was a really weird effect to me. Like that's when I was I was talking to Tom about it. When I was watching, I was like, "She looks bizarre because it looks like a two D thing that's been made three D, and it really was off putting." It was really. Well, is that what you're saying, Jack? That it was kind of damaged. Oh yes, and that's why it had that odd look. Yes, the idea that she's a child, but that she's also seen 1900 Christmases. Yeah, very spooky, very yickety. I don't. I also she doesn't have the type of Muppet voice we're used to, like that really like like I just didn't the whole thing i was like i don't like you but again we're not supposed to like these are not things we want to see all the time right if you see these spirits things are going badly 
Yeah, I mean, and I think it's because she almost has like a human like face. I think that's the truly off putting thing. But like for a her. dead that, child too, which is yeah, totally weird. Like like a porcelain doll face, and yeah. not which is not a human face, but it's not a Muppet face. But she's also kind of a Muppet. She's the yeah. least Muppety Muppet I've ever Muppeted. Yeah. So you ever not, saw not with to, your Muppet eyes? <laughs> not not to smurf the the yes. words, but yeah, she's the least Muppety Muppet I've ever Muppeted with my Muppet eyes. So. <laughs> Um, but let's get off her because she's going to creep me out and I have to go to sleep soon. But let's talk about the ghost of Christmas present because I loved him. I loved his, I loved his favorite too. Is he your favorite Jack? Yes, he is. I mean, he can remind you of Pogor from the Fraggle Rock because of his gigantic appearance. Yeah, I think that that's what they they probably use the Gorgs, right? As like some sort of like structure for what he looks like. Yes. Yes. When I, I spent the entire movie trying to figure out who he was reminding me of. And now that you're saying that, that does make sense to me. But yeah, just everything about it. I love his energy. I love the, the singing, the, the, way, the way he sings and then gets Ebenezer Scrooge to start dancing yes. watching michael kane dance. everything about his energy was amazing i mean that's really where the movie really embraces its joyful magic so he reminds me of hagrid and the, the having the little wreath in his hair has this like really like impy little quality too but it's like on this big gigantic guy um so i just i think he's so inviting i i, I love him i would spend all the time with him <laughs> He was actually voiced by Jerry Nelson, who actually gave the face and the voice performances. And so he has, you know, he has a couple of songs. Uh, and for me, the the absolute creepiest, and it always is, is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Is there any good facts about how they brought this faceless creature to life? Well, they were going to let Gonzo do it, but... It's a bit too creepy. I think the idea of Gonzo's nose sticking out of the <laughs> hole would have been funny, though. Funny. I, I think it, I think it it made it would have made him actually look like kind of like the Emperor in yes, Star Wars. Yes, I could see that. No, but I, I feel like I read and maybe it was maybe it was the Ghost of Christmas Present that there was like a number of uh, puppeteers that were required to bring them to life. So he's a character where you really have to watch his performance to get the effect. Does that make it creepier that he? is able to be so intimidating without saying any words uh I, I, well let me start with this are we all in agreement that the ghost of christmas yet to come is the creepiest scariest of the three christmas spirits yeah he's the creepiest scariest muppet i know how about you jack frankly he reminds me of the grim reaper from monty python's meaning of life i mean they have a strong resemblance the cloak the arms everything true yep the ghost of christmas yet to come often portrayed as a version of the death character right the yeah. the grim reaper that's often what it is because then you think about it it makes sense the future that the ghost of christmas yet to come is showing ebenezer is not only his untimely death but also tiny tim's yeah that was bad you guys that made me choke up like a lot because, you For know, sure. I love Robin so much. He's such a cutie. They had done such a good job of showing how sick he was, you know, making him do his little coughing at the table and everything. And I mean, my little heart was like, no, when we have to have that speech from Bob that he's passed. Mm -hmm. Oh, my heart. Jack, how did you feel when you when you when they were saying that Tiny Tim had died? It was dark. I definitely choked up. It was that and and, and Bean Bunny shivering in the cold. Uh, <laughs> Bean Bunny really got to you, huh? Well, you know what? Because because we see him and he he's trying to he's trying to carol for some coin, and I appreciate the hustle. <laughs> but but then you flush it at night, and he's like underneath like the newspaper, shivering yeah. out in the cold, and that really affected me. I I, I don't know why it really hit me. I'm a weird oh. place, I guess. But but no no the the coming home and Peter saying to his sister and to his mother father has been walking with a slower step the last few days and that's just when when bob cratchit comes in and he talks about finding a nice spot on the hill because he would like to and he can't finish it and 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 his wife and, and miss piggy has to finish because he liked to watch the ducks in the river oh guys i know because he liked to watch the ducks in the river you guys i can't even i can't, I can't even i can't that's so sad we actually have the clip just to make everyone feel a little bit sad and and hug the ones you love a little bit tighter we actually have the clip here talking about uh life being full of meetings and partings it's all right children life is made up of meetings and partings that is the way of it 
I am sure we shall never forget Tiny Tim or this first parting that there was among us. See, and it's that those words that make me feel like what I said at the beginning of this podcast, which is, I think this is special at the time that Brian was processing his own father's death, having to try to put that idea in the world of like somehow being okay with there being meetings and partings. For me, that makes it ever so much more special. We talk a lot about the different versions of Rainbow Connection because we there's different people who sing it. Jack was just asking me the other day, who do I prefer? And I always prefer Jim Henson's singing voice to all of the songs because I feel like there's like this strain when he says like um, that it's like his calling basically and stuff like that in, in the Rainbow Connection. Oh my gosh, they're like I choke up when because you can hear it in his mm-hmm. own voice that it's his calling. I'm gonna be all sad. <laughs> There's something about this movie that I understand it's a tale that's been told so many different times. And that's one of the very unique qualities of this movie is that it's told so many times and yet the message of living your life to the to its fullest never gets old it never feels played out you always have to be reminded of it which is kind of sad right like you'd think by now the human race could have been like listen it's short it's fast live it to its fullest but we still don't seem to grasp it like we need this reminder every year apparently here are some of the lyrics from it feels like christmas which is the song that the ghost of christmas present sings and then it's part of the reprise at the very end of the movie uh it's in the singing of a street corner choir it's going home and getting warm by the fire it's true wherever you find love it feels like christmas a cup of kindness that we share with another a sweet reunion with a friend or a brother and all the places you find love it feels like christmas i mean i i suggest everyone go and search out the lyrics for it feels like christmas and that's what christmas is about this song what this song is about is what christmas is about what this song is about is what great christmas movies are about i think i I think this movie captures so well the idea of what christmas is about you know it's so interesting because when jack and i were watching some of the behind the scenes things one of the things that that they talk about is how brian henson felt this movie i know we're talking about christmas but he but he says this movie is about death it is about death and that seems like what like a quick pullback like what are you talking about but so is it it's a wonderful life is talking about life and death and you know there's that theme in there and so there's something about our christmas movies as we're going through this journey we've been trying to kind of figure out what are the ingredients that make a good christmas movie and i think understanding and appreciating and having gratitude for life includes respect for the death side of the cycle and having that element play in on on some level seems to be something that we're experiencing as like a kind of like you have to have that yin and yang you have to go to the darkest dark in order to feel the joy at the end of the movie that's life right well, I mean, I, I just had this conversation with my son. We were talking because uh, his grandfather, sadly, actually just passed away a few weeks ago. And so he's been processing right before Christmas. Uh, his, his grandfather passed away. And so he's been processing loss and feeling sad. And is it OK to be sad? And when and is it OK not to feel sad all the time? And trying to figure out what the right emotions are. And, and so we were talking about sadness and and feeling it. And I, I told him that it's what makes humans humans. It's it's the best part and the worst part of the human experience of being a human is that you need sadness because if you never have sadness, if you never have grief and loss, then you never fully appreciate joy and happiness and all the good things that come in life because you wouldn't have anything to compare it to. It, you would You would just be flat all the time right right and so you need the character of a little tiny baby tiny tim who loves to watch the ducks to to lose him in in the in the cast feels like oh my gosh you know like that's a tragedy and we can see that but at the same time you're like yes but look at you look at you ebenezer you have a life and it's a tragedy to lose you too so live your life to the fullest such an important message and it feels like when the muppets are telling you a message it gets through to your heart easier doesn't it jack like like in Sesame Street and stuff, if a Muppet's telling you something, you learn it better. It's true. I mean, it's educational. They've used Muppets as education for forever because it seems like if a Muppet face is telling you, <laughs> somehow we absorb it better. Yeah. Are you processing yes. Muppet faces? <laughs> well, no, I, I'm thinking back to the Ghost of Christmas present because Ebenezer says, you know, tell me he lives. And he says that's not 
that's someone else's job essentially that's the ghost of christmas yet to come to tell you that but i shall put on i shall point out to you that there's an empty chair with a with a crutch i was like oh my god how is the churchyard well, it'll be lovely emily it would have done you good to see how green the place is i i picked a spot for tim where he can see it's, it's a spot on the hill and you can see the ducks on the river. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim always loved watching the ducks on the river. Yeah, it's but, I, your ducks line that you just said is probably like I didn't even like key into that. And now that I'm like thinking about a little place on the hill because that's where he likes to watch the ducks. That but like he can't finish the line, Caroline. Oh, he can't. It rips my heart out. Emily has to finish the line for him because this frog can't finish the frog. line he can't finish the line because he's so heartbroken oh I'm, I'm sitting here like <gasps> yes i feel the same way jack does it get to you he gets to me when you have kids uh, you'll know it's all different oh yeah i god i say that line so much man there's so many things i say you're when you have be, kids you'll know quite an old dad oh in life god. here oh my god <laughs> but Ebenezer realizes it. you know it begins in the cemetery with the ghost of christmas yet to come and it ends in the cemetery with the ghost of christmas yet to come and he realizes he's asking but he's also realizing that this doesn't have to be my future this doesn't have to be how it turns out he can change oh my gosh what is at the end of the of the one muppet show is it muppets take manhattan when they say write your own ending no that's muppet movie life's a movie write your own ending right. keep believing keep pretending we've set out of what we gotta do thanks to the lovers the dreamers and you there you go that's all you have there to know you go <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge has an opportunity to write his own ending, as we all do. It does have extreme hope in it, which is so funny because when I think about this movie, I actually only think of Ebenezer Scrooge and I only think of him in the form of being the grumpy curmudgeon, which is funny because you think I would think of the hopeful, happy ending, but I, I never, I honestly never do. And then when you watch it, you're like, but it's so hopeful and they're singing at the end and everybody's happy. Jack, what was the, what was the fast fact that we learned about character? that weren't in that ending scene. They were missing Clara, that's nephew Fred's wife, but they mentioned that Robin Weaver, that's Clara's actor, wasn't available. Yeah. Sure, she was available in time with the Christmas present, but she wasn't available in the ending. So they thought that no one would miss her, and apparently it's like one of the number one questions that people ask. Where is Clara? <laughs> can, can we talk about Fred Scrooge for a second? Uh, I don't really even think he needs to be in this, but sure. I do not like Fred Scrooge. Mm. Fred Scrooge is a disingenuous cotton-headed ninny muggins. Whoa, that's big yeah. talk. He's all about, oh, oh, uncle, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then he gets to the party when Scrooge isn't there, and he's talking smack on Christmas yes, Day yes. about your uncle that mm -hmm. no one wants him? How dare you, sir? <laughs> that's so How mean. It's so mean. Fred's like a mean girl, huh, Lope? Definitely. Ebenezer is mean to your face, guys, right? He is who he is every moment of the yeah. day like he doesn't play you know he's right. like right. i am right. who i am but i'm not gonna talk crap behind your back or anything but no. this is the way i live my life in like the end but yeah these people who like act like they're all super happy and great that's what's that's what's fascinating about the cratchits because they are good in front of people and they are good when the doors are closed uh, the idea of the purity of heart and purity of spirit is embodied by bob cratchit and tiny tim the idea of raising a toast to you know the founder of the feast by the way, I'm officially going by the founder of the feast these days. I'm having, That's I'm, your having new name? I'm having new business cards uh, printed up. <laughs> Podcasts that will be coming out post recording of this will be referring to myself as the, founder of, the founder of the feast. No, no, just the founder of the feast. Everyone, you guys. <laughs> People can go figure out what it means. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, they are the embodiment of spirit because they are pure heart all the time. I, I said this to Tom. I said, Bob Cratchit is just the purest of spirits. He's not here. That's why I'm speaking on his behalf. You know what Tom said to me? Why Bob Cratchit was the purest of spirits? Well, Hermit the Frog plays him. Yes! That's what Thomas said! Yeah. <laughs> Thomas said, because Kermit plays him, that's why he's so pure of heart. Yeah. Jack and Tom on <laughs> the same wavelength. They yep. get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, not everyone gets it, but you guys do, and you are clued in. Yep. Can I tell you weird casting, though? Oh, please. I think yep. it's super weird that Miss Piggy plays Emily Cratchit, because to be honest with you, I didn't even remember there was a Mrs. Cratchit. Like, I remember there was Bob. I remember he had kids. 
I didn't even remember there was a wife at all. So I felt like Miss Piggy was like this strange add-in. She was so like weirdly extra to me. Because they already had that established couple of Piggy and Kermit, obviously no one else could have played Mrs. Cratchit. It would have been weird to put Kermit with anyone else. But it just was like, really? Like she's kind of like the yin to his yang. And Emily Cratchit's a really little part. Yeah, but she's feisty though, right? Yeah, she's. I mean, she she's eaten the she's eaten the nuts ahead of time. <laughs> Miss Piggy. She she's she's telling Scrooge to cash me outside. She's taking off her earrings. I mean, she's she's feisty. She's so. really funny. I love her. Piggy makes it worth it being in this movie alone because of the gag of the twin girls look like her and the boys look like Kermit. That's <laughs> we were hysterical. talking about that, weren't we? We were saying like, what? All the girls are pigs and all the boys are frogs. <laughs> Jack, talk to me. Is Tiny Tim officially Robin, who is canonically Kermit's nephew, not his son? Is that who is playing Tiny Tim, or is that an original Muppet character? Well, Robin the Frog is Tiny Tim. I love that. He is. He's it, he's credited as Tiny Tim, played by Robin the Frog. Well, there you go. Well, that so, answers my ba-boom. question. I don't baboom you that much, and we do a lot of podcasting together. You do. I don't. I don't get. I don't get mic dropped or baboomed a lot. That's not true. Not much. Not much. I think the last thing we really need to talk about uh, before we hit some fast facts th- is the music, because like mm. like every great Muppet movie, this is a musical. It starts with the opening bop, Scrooge, and it continues all the way to the the final song. You know, thankful heart, and uh, when love is found, and it feels like Christmas reprised. How necessary is music in a Muppet movie to you guys? Like for me, the music and the Muppets go hand in hand. Like you can't have one without the other. For me personally, it's a little weak on the music. There's not one that I sing later. Like there's so many songs that I sing from the other Muppet shows that I, I I hate to say that because I like them when they're playing. And I certainly enjoyed your recitation of feels like christmas but i'm not one more sleep till christmas yeah see i don't but i don't sing that later like do you sing that later are you in the shower singing it but i think there's a reason for that though right so the the songs in especially a muppet movie that's like music made to be like pop hits right that's Mm. music made to be listened to forever more and ever time no matter what time of the year it is and those songs have endured, right? I, they, I mean, Being Green, uh, uh, Together Again, uh, Rainbow, Rainbow Connection especially. You can listen to those songs. They inspire you year-round, no matter how old you are, no matter what year it is. I mean, we're talking about songs that are over 40 years old at this point, And they still hit they still resonate this is christmas music so this is like a really specific time of year with the really specific kind of song that being said i mean i had a couple favorites i don't think there's any real duds in here so i love scrooge there's a lot of when they're talking about the mean things that scrooge is very catchy and i was definitely singing it for several minutes after the song finished so the opening number scrooge the one more sleep to christmas really got me i was enjoying singing that along with kermit because it also allows me to do my kermit impression i like the ghost of christmas present it feels like christmas because i think the lyrics are fantastic in that and i really enjoy the ghost of christmas present's voice and i like think a little heart because i think getting michael kane to sing and he doesn't have the best voice but the idea of him singing because he is this transformed character really hits that he's singing and not a Muppet. Uh, And I think it's important that you get to see the human reformed character sing because I think it kind of ties it all together. Even without hitting you over the head, I think the idea of Ebenezer Scrooge singing Thankful Heart gives you the cue that we're a different world now than we were at the beginning of the movie. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Do you guys have any good fast facts about the music in this? If not, I can hit you with a couple. I'm glad you asked, Mike. My favorite songs would be their opening song, Scrooge, and Statler and Waldorf's number, Marley and Marley. Mm, that oh. is a good one. That's actually one of my favorites. That is a catchy song that you could sing uh, any time. Marley and Marley. Yeah, I it's like very catchy. Go, <laughs> it's good to be Heckelon again. Yes. So. I love that. See, but that's because I love them. So right. they, they bring it. They bring it for me. Not It's not the right. song. It's them. You know, they're just so yeah. funny. So there's three songs that are not in the theatrical release and not currently reflected in the disney plus version which is unless you own this that's the streaming the streaming version is the disney plus version right now the version they have is the 1992 theatrical release you can watch 
When Love is Gone, which is Bell's song from when he's in uh, Ghost of Christmas Pastime. It was cut out of the movie over Brian Henson's objection. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the head of Disney Studios at the time, made him cut it because he felt that it would be too that kids wouldn't understand the song and that it would make them too restless to have to sit through it and brian henson objected to it and recently it was announced that the original film because they actually filmed that song where you could see the deleted scene um the original negative has been recovered that includes that footage and it will be in remasters of this movie going forward including any 4k remasters that they do going forward but that was a big point of contention for brian henson because he wanted that song within and katzenberg rule overruled him and made him take it out there are two other songs though that were written that appear on the soundtrack if you go to spotify or if you go to buy the muppet christmas carol uh, soundtrack there are two songs that appear on there that never even got produced the songs were written they were recorded but they never even were filmed for the movie that's room in your heart which Mm. is done by honeydew and beaker when they go when they go to make a donation from Scrooge, there's a whole song there that never actually got put into the movie. And then there's another one that Sam the Eagle would sing in his scene where he's the headmaster. It's the American way called Chairman of the Board. So you can listen to both of these songs on the Spotify. If you go to Spotify and, and pull up the soundtrack or if you go buy the soundtrack, you can go listen to these songs. They were they were cut from the script because they didn't move the story forward at all it was decided by brian and jerry jewel um and they were already worried about the length of the movie to begin with so they cut those songs and never actually even filmed them unlike when love is gone which was filmed was supposed to be in a movie and uh the studio disney reared its ugly head and made henson cut it out so that's crazy (laughs) that's crazy crazy mike let's get some fast facts the swedish chef was the cook at fuzzy wig's party in the book, there's actually only one Marley, Jacob Marley. Robert Marley was added to this version of the story just so they could be played by Statler and Waldorf. I think that's super funny because Jack pointed out that whose name does that sound like? Bob Marley. Bob Marley. We were laughing about I, that. That is very funny. <laughs> that is very funny. Okay, here's a good one. When Kermit blew out the candle, an air gun did it for him to make it look like the puppet was blowing out the candle. So like as the Kermit's face moves forward, then the air gun blew it out. Oh, that is a cool effect. Yeah. I see. I love practical effects. That yeah, makes me really fun. neat, right? So Jacob and Robert Marley, you were just talking about them. They're uh, surrounded by wailing cash boxes during their song Marley and Marley. That's a nod to Bob Marley and his band, which were called The, the Wailers. Wailers. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. In the trailers, the Beetlejuice theme was used to promote the Muppet Christmas Carol. How funny is that? That's really funny. I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. Uh, It had competition with Home Alone and Disney's Aladdin. Is that so weird? In my brain, I do not place it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate. It got uh, Disney kind of cannibalized it against Aladdin because Aladdin came out at the same time. It never managed to nearly surpass Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, which came out like i think the week before right 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 around the same time frame yeah it was i mean it made 27 million dollars just over 27 million dollars when all of a sudden done on a 12 million dollar budget so it it did well it just wasn't regarded as a big success also it should noted and just because this is just for movie cinephiles out there this christmas movie was released december 11th 1992 nowadays I mean, look at the release date on Elf, which was in early November. Christmas movies basically release as soon as Halloween is done. You'll get because they want to keep the movies in the theaters for, you know, eight to six, eight weeks. So this movie had a very short because no one goes to see a Christmas movie the week after Christmas or the day after Christmas. Right. So it only had two weeks in the theaters of, of real legs to run. So when love is gone the song we were just talking about that was cut it actually did eventually get put into versions of the movie including and most notably the 2005 dvd release that version is no longer being circulated when they redid it to put it onto blu-ray they used the theatrical version again and and so the song disappeared again so it's very very difficult to find a copy of this movie on any kind of media that has the one love is gone song i did not realize even though we had said what a close adaptation it was did you guys realize that 95 percent of what gonzo says 
are the actual prose from Charles Dickens. That's I crazy. Did that I did that's no, a I didn't know really, that. Really, really, really close adaptation. Pretty impressive. Jim Henson gave his approval in a dream. Hmm. Steve Whitmire, due to the fact that he was playing Kermit. And he was feeling kind of uncomfortable about it, but then Jim came to him in his dream. Yes. He just put his two fingers on his chin and was like, you can do it. And he, and then and so then Steve felt like he could go ahead and do it. He said it was time for him to go. Pretty wow. I love that. I love I know. that. I love that. I and love Steve that there's Whitmire. even a feeling of a blessing. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Steve and Steve Whitmire, the you know, fish, he wakes up feeling confident, right? Oh yeah, I mean, no, he, he felt like uh, yeah. he he really could do it then. I mean, that's just kind of crazy. That's, that's I mean, that's fantastic. My final one is that at the end of the song "One More Sleep Till Christmas," Bob is standing alone in the street. There's a shooting star that can be seen streaking across the sky behind him. In many, but not all, of the Muppet movies, a shooting star goes across the sky at some point whenever Kermit is on the screen. And it was included here, people think, as an homage to Jim Henson. It was another just kind of shout out to, to Jim. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to to end our coverage of Muppet's Christmas Carol. So while you guys are thinking about how many Jingle Bells you're going to give this movie, I'm going to play you a clip of what's coming up next week, and you guys can tell me if you know what this movie is. This bell is a wonderful symbol of the spirit of Christmas, as am I. <laughs> Just remember, the true spirit of Christmas lies in your heart. All right, what do you guys think? Do you have a guess on what we're watching next week for f the fifth week of 52 Weeks of Christmas? Polar Express. Polar Express. We are watching 2004's Tom Hanks, Robbie Z, uh, Robert Zemeckis uh, animated classic, Polar Express. All right. Good guess, Jack. This one's going high on my list because I think that this one is through and through a Christmas movie. We've talked about how it brings all the different layers that we need, making you have a lot of gratitude, making you feel love, making you want to hold on to your loved ones. I think this is very high for me. I'm going to give it nine. Jingle bells. Same here on nine out of ten because had the Muppets in it. Not to mention, it took them a lot of work. Mm, you appreciate hard work, don't you? Yes. So nine jingle bells makes sense to reward that hard work, huh? Mm -hmm. I agree. Mike, how about you? Oh, oh, Jack, I, I don't want to move off this, Pete. I'm a okay. little curious. <laughs> Tell me, Jack, what about you and puppets make you appreciate how much hard work goes into it? Could you tell us a little bit about maybe some stuff you've done with puppets? Well, hand movements such as thumb isolation. When you do this, uh, my hand's like biting its words. That's a term we call biting its words or flipping the lid. Mm -hmm. So instead, what do you have to do? Use your thumb as the lower jaw. Just like we humans do it. So you keep that, you keep your upper part of your hand isolated and you only move the jaw because otherwise you're biting your words or flipping your lid. Right. I'm actually, I'm actually doing it here. We're all and, doing it right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I hope listener do it. Do it with your hand. Do like a little, a little. It's sock harder puppet, than you think. It's, oh, hard. it's very hard to just isolate your, your thumb. One of the other tricks was that you can take the, the, the bigger part of your hand, like the four fingers and put that in the lower jaw and then just move that. As opposed to using just your sad one thumb to try to work the whole lower lower jaw. Because you're not actually trying to move the head around. It's a better tip. It sure is. <laughs> so, Jack, tell about your Muppet movie. And tell who you got to show or who wants to see your movie that asked you to email it to him over Christmas. Sid Croft from Sid and Marty Croft. Now, I assume you've never heard of him. I mean, have you heard of him? I, I have not. Please tell me who they are. You don't know Sid Croft? Oh, no. She's the creator of Puffin Stuff, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. I know Puffin Stuff. He did DC Follies. Oh, I know DC Follies. That was mm -hmm. that was in my youth. Yep. We reached out to Sid Croft through Cameo, and he got a chance to talk with Jack. He asked me to show him my movie so he can that. give me some tips on puppetry. Pretty amazing. That is amazing. Have you met any other puppeteers? Well, yes. I mean, Carol Spenny. That's for one. He's the actor of Big Bird. Yeah, he What? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I mean, no one remembers the Muppet performers. Sure, the Muppets, yes, but the performers, no. I'm like the only one who knows them. 
<laughs> you definitely are. Who else have you met that was actually in, was it Muppets Most Wanted? The Muppets. Yeah, in the Muppets. Who did you meet from the Muppets? Jason Siegel. That's mm-hmm. for one. Mm-hmm. And he talked to you about being in a puppeteer? Yes. Since I understand the hardworking part, I give it nine jingle bells. I, I mean, that totally works for me. I, I'm not to be a copycat, but I'm also giving it nine jingle bells. I you think are. This might be the highest rated Christmas movie we've done so far. It is. I mean, we both gave Elf nine jingle bells, but I think Elf was kind of similar to The Muppet Christmas Carol insofar as it was a story about uh, not about death or loss, but it was a it was actually about trying to find someone. Right. It was a story about a boy trying to find his father and make a connection. But a larger family, a larger story entwined into Christmas. Like, yeah. and so it makes all the Christmas themes kind of come to life. And I you think guys, Muppet I'm, Christmas Carol th- does the same thing. I think I have to recant my nine jingle bells if i gave elf nine jingle bells i think i have to give muppet christmas carol nine and a half jingle bells whoa yeah i think i have to because there's something about this one i mean it has the longevity that i just i don't see the muppets going away and i don't see people not wanting to watch this in the future so i i'm giving it nine and a half i mean i love the muppets more than i love will ferrell i'm keeping them the same though because the muppets mean more to me but i watch elf more um, which is okay. probably a f- which is probably a factor of it being on more. I mean, it gets more airplay. It's newer, and so it's more fresh in my mind. Mm. But watching this really hit all of the nostalgia feels for me. I mean, I felt I felt very joyful at heart watching this. Me so. too. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Jack. It was so helpful to have a Muppet expert with us. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jack, very much. I mean, you you were billed as a Muppet expert, and you did not disappoint. You you brought the Muppet facts like a boss. So thank you. It was nice meeting you, Mike. Uh, same here, Jack. Same here. I hope we get to see you again on another week of Christmas. I would love to. I just want to leave you with a little bit, uh, a little quote from the uh, It Feels Like Christmas song, um, because I think that's kind of what we're trying to do here. The ways of love made clear. It is the season of the spirit. The message, if we hear it, is make it last all year. Oh my goodness. See, that's why I give it nine and a half jingle bells. It's got the message. It's got the message. It's literally why we're doing this podcast. (laughs) It's got 52 weeks of joy literally in the words. Thank you guys so much for listening to 52 Weeks of Christmas. We're looking forward to having you next week and every week all the way to December 2021. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could leave us five stars, that would be great so that we don't have to give you coal in your stocking. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening, pod people. That's fantastic. (laughs) Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.